We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In the 1991 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back! Good morning, Hornets fans. This is Richie. And we are live for another buzz in here on Twitter Spaces. It's early. We already have a couple people here. Uh, we are going to do a 22-23 season preview. Uh, Lee is in Amsterdam. Uh, I'll be joined by Spencer and Brian today. Spencer is joining us from his bathroom. Uh, so if you hear an echo or if you hear him washing his hands, uh, that is him. So Spencer, a uh, long time no speak. How's everything going? Yeah, it's great. Great to be with you guys. Um, lot, lots been going on. Uh, you just, you know, sometimes life just gets a little busy and overwhelming. It feels like I've, I've been in that place for about two months, but mostly good things. Um, I am joining from my bathroom. Uh, props to Brian. So this is rather fitting to what we're probably going to be talking about for the next 82 games uh, or, or so. So, um, so yeah, I'll leave that metaphor up to your own minds out there. But uh, all is well and happy to be uh Happy to be talking uh, Hornets a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully by the time, uh, you know, when we're recording like a random check-in pod in November, we won't be doing it from like a uh, a dumpster that's on fire. Let's, let's, yeah. Let's, 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 <laughs> we'll, as long as, I don't, yeah, as long as I'm not recording the next time from the actual toilet, if we can yeah. keep it to the, to the bathroom <laughs> commons, then that's, that's okay. Perfect. <laughs> All right, let's dive into this episode uh, after somewhat of an eventful offseason or uneventful offseason. You can kind of look at it at the same time both ways. Uh, we are going to preview the season for the Charlotte Hornets. And I wanted to start off on, I don't know if you call it a positive end, but just kind of looking at it uh, from a neutral point of view or some positivity. And I would like to discuss Steve Clifford and let's try to paint the picture of what the Hornets could look like under Clifford this year. We've seen him before. Uh, even if it doesn't equate to wins and losses uh, in terms of bumping that up, because I don't think anyone is predicting that, 
how is this team potentially going to uh, maybe look less frustrating in certain areas of the court? Because there is some things that uh, Clifford does bring uh, stylistically and just kind of with his uh, preaching of what he likes to do on the basketball court. So I do think there are some things that I would want change from Clifford's first go around uh, when he was in Charlotte. I felt like he had pretty rigid rotations. He had a tendency for his teams to overhelp on defense. And, you know, those weren't the only issues by any means, but those are the two things that kind of stood out to me when he was here his first go around. And I would hope that he has evolved as a coach to where he can think more on the fly um, in terms of tinkering with in-game substitution patterns and stuff like that, play the hot hand. That's something that I felt like Borrego did a relatively good job of Um, Having said that, I think the one area which Clifford is going to make his imprint on the team is on the defensive end of the court. And I know there's always a debate. uh, We've had it here on the podcast before about personnel versus coaching uh, when it comes to evaluating the defense and how hard it is sometimes to know whether it's the personnel versus what's being taught. But I've already seen some things uh, in preseason that I've liked on that end of the court. I think the communication, the activity just seemed to be at a higher level. And, you know, I know that kind of that kind of stuff kind of wanes as the season progresses with players starting to wear down. Uh, But I do have a greater sense that Clifford can raise the defense up maybe more to its potential than Borrego ever did. Uh, He's known for teaching those techniques and fundamentals and putting players in position to succeed so either of you can jump in here but I just wanted to end on that with with you know with Clifford yes it may not result in more wins per se but it could result in less frustration on the defensive end of the court and I think that's what I'm looking forward to most when it comes to the rehiring of Clifford just the accountability that he does bring on that end of the court. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we've seen a lot of it in preseason, probably most notably the drop coverage, you know, with the centers and just helping, you know, help defense, getting in gaps more often, helping the helper. I mean, you know, guys are going to be in spots more often than we saw um, under James Brago. But, of course, it, it's it's totally – it really couldn't be any more opposite schematically, right? Uh, under Brago, there was a lot of switching – it's more like <clears throat> Operation Chaos, really. A lot of times you couldn't even tell what kind of <laughs> defensive scheme they were in. But with Steve Clifford, it's it's uh, it, yeah, it's going to be more on a string. Um, we'll see which players benefit from that. I, I think it's it's certainly going to take on the form of <clears throat> raising the floor, not the ceiling, with this group. <laughs> but you know, you can you can also see where a guy like Jalen McDaniels. Um, certainly, we've seen Nick, Nick Richards really. I think look great in, in drop coverage in, in some instances uh, in preseason uh, and even Plumley. I, I mean, I, I really think, you know, asking him, we talked about this plenty last season, but asking him to get out, trap ball screens, recover um, just did not work. So I think you cover up a lot of his deficiencies as well uh, in drop. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a chance this group can be a league average defense. I, I would be really, really impressed if Clifford was able to scratch out like a top 10 defense out of this group. I think that's probably off the table. Um, but considering where they finished last year, which I think was about 26, 27th, if we can get somewhere towards league average um, and everything else breaks the right way, injuries, steal close games, things like this, you can start to 
imagine how this team would start to flirt with 40 wins, mostly thanks to, to Clifford's scheme. But, but yeah, a lot has to go right there. But yeah, I agree with you, Richie. Like I, <clears throat> this is the kind of defense I like watching on any level of basketball. I like making the game simpler for yourself, um, taking care of the things that, you know, you've been taught since a young age playing basketball. That's the stuff Steve Clifford's going to do. They're going to rebound the basketball. They're going to keep the ball in front. Um, they're going to control the aspects of the game that they can control. Um, so, so yeah, from that standpoint, I'm looking forward to it. The talent's a, a different story. Right. <laughs> yeah. The roster, um, as we've discussed plenty this off season in the last few weeks of preseason, as I'm sure we'll get into more on this pod, uh, the roster has got all kinds of issues, but, um, two have arrived at Steve Clifford in a kind of bizarre indirect fashion, Take it for whatever, you know, take it as you will. But ultimately, you've got a guy in here that can, I think, set the foundation for them defensively going forward in terms of what their base is. Because the last couple of seasons, there wasn't a base. This is what Richie and Spencer were just talking about. There was, they played as much, if not more zone than anybody. I think they played in terms of like the percentage of possessions. I do think over the last two seasons, they played more than anybody. That's about to change pretty quickly. And the zone had some success at times. That was their like best defense, like the most reliable defense they had, but it was pretty porous at times. The switching, the communication with how they switched, like they had trouble just keeping the ball in front, even though, even with this like very basic scheme to that is designed to keep the ball in front. And then with the, the ball screen traps were just like a nightmare, obviously last season, but even in the 2020, 2021 season um, and the, the lack of communication, both at that sort of like mesh point, And then also on the back end was Pretty, pretty horrific at times. Um, and I do think with some of the personnel on this roster defensively, like you're still going to have some of those issues. Like you've got Kelly Oubre just, I, I just messing up at every defensively. Like it, it this is, I don't, we'll, maybe I'll save, like save some more of these thoughts for later, but just, I thought like pre I know it's preseason, but I thought it was like a pretty embarrassing uh, showing from him uh, when he was on the floor defensively in the preseason. But I think my hope would be you play more of this drop coverage. It helps the defensive rebounding. And I think because there are a lot of young guys on this roster, I'm trying to think about what they could take from this long term. And so my hope would be that it improves stuff like fitting into a, a scheme being more sturdy at the point of attack, improving communication, improving accountability, being able to rotate, not just kind of like freelance and occasionally trapping some switching. And then if, if all else fails, Hey, let's just, let's just fall back into the zone and try to get some steals that way. And so I think if you're look, I'm trying to focus on this, like from a player development standpoint mm-hmm. and thinking that it will be good for some of the young guys to get involved in this scheme and kind of get the like learn the ropes a little bit more in terms of what it means to play in a more traditional conservative, however you want to describe it based defense and um, what that could mean for someone like Nick Richards as the center. And I think more importantly and longer term, what it means for someone like Mark Williams, who I think has also had some nice flashes defensively in the preseason. Um, and as someone who's gotten better, 
with drop coverage the last couple of years going back to his time at Duke. And I think, again, had some nice moments in the preseason. But what I have also liked from Clifford as, you know, mixed in just in the preseason, they, they're not dropping on every ball screen. Like there's been some switching, some late clock switching. You've seen guys play high, like Williams at one point in the Philadelphia game, I think play closer to the level on a screen. You've still seen them like throw out a trap occasionally. So you're seeing some of that scheme versatility, which you like, but I think developing Williams long-term as a drop center is just, is a good thing given where Charlotte's like, you know, roster resources and construction is right now. So my hope would be that looking at this on a player by player basis, that, you're just improving those guys long-term, hopefully across the board, but sort of like helping set the foundation now this season. Two other <clears throat> small schematic, or really attention to detail things that we've seen a lot too. Um, I, I think ball screen defense developing from the guards is something we're going to see a lot of like book night and LaMelo two things specifically Side, keeping the ball on the sideline more often. So you're getting the, you know, really getting the court into thirds. If that middle ball screen comes, you've seen the guards quickly force it back, you know, force it down the sideline. We would see that some for Borrego, you know, the team, I mean, that's pretty common defense to ice it or whatever you want to yeah. call it. But, you know, you can tell these guys are drilled on that. And that's a good habit to have. The other thing is playing a drop defense, the guards going over the screen. Um, and I think that could be really, really helpful for LaMelo down the road with his length. You know, he needs to learn. He's not going to be a body up defender, right? He needs to learn to lock and trail, whether that's off the ball or on the ball on screens. And so we've seen that too. Um, and I think book night, I mean, you know, it, it can unlock some of his defensive uh, potential, his athleticism. He's got some length. So just drilling into those habits, I think <clears throat> from a development standpoint, you know, can certainly help some of our guards too. I think McGow- you could even throw McGowan's into that yeah, mix. Yeah. Another, you know, top 40 pick, a lot of length. Um, and obviously he'll still spend, you know, time in Greensboro this year. But I imagine they're going to be running the same program once again. So I think you know, he's another guy that that matters into this. And I, I do think just like over the course of the season, seeing less Kelly Oubre and more Jalen McDaniels and Cody Martin, which just seems inevitable I mean, I know they're going to be starved for scoring, so maybe you, you're going to feel the need to play Ubre a little bit more. But playing those guys more than Ubre um, is just going to improve your defense on the wing too. Yeah. Like by virtue of maybe not having like elite defensive personnel, but certainly having pretty good defensive personnel compared to really truly awful uh, wing defense. You guys both mentioned this, and my only other thought with Clifford, and or I guess question thought. I have is with the defensive rebounding and how that will hold up. Uh, I want to say when he was with Charlotte, you know, five years ago or whatever, you know, the team was consistently top two, top three in defensive rebounding. Uh, and the seasons with Borrego it was the opposite, like bottom two, bottom three. Uh, I think that's obviously a big gap to kind of close there. And with Clifford wanting to keep the pace, uh, having some players maybe leak up the court a little bit versus staying back for the boards. I, I wonder how he's going to balance that. I don't know if that's a thought that's crossed your guys' mind in terms of um, you know something to watch this season and whether or not Clifford is going to stress uh, you know grabbing the defensive rebounds to a point to where it could affect the pace. 
Well, I, I do think we've seen the centers run the middle of the floor really, really yes, well yes. in the preseason. That You can tell that to focus. Um, you know, it, this is, Richie, it's a, it's a team rebounding scheme. So there are going to be opportunities uh, for Plumlee and Nick Richards and Mark Williams to run and seal. And that's one way if, you know, the Hornets aren't going to. I think we've seen Clifford play with pace, and he does it in, un- in a unique way. But I think that's one way they can steal points. Um, and you're, I've been really impressed with Richards there. I mean, he is a big body. He can get physical. He's he's become really good, um, proficient at running, sealing, and then playing under control. Richie, I think you've talked about this. You know, he's not the he's not going to take it off the rim uh, and, and punch it. You know, he needs to catch it with two hands, chin it be under control and go back up. You know, he's, he's that kind of guy. So I, I've been impressed. And the other thing, I, and I clipped this and, and put it on Twitter the other day, but book night, you know, when he gets the opportunity to be in the open floor, just hitting up, he, he, he did it. I think it was in the Philly game the other night. He got it about half court, no defender within, within eye shot. You know, he could have over dribbled that ball, but he got off of it really, really quickly. Um, and that's just something real simple, but there's a lot of players on this team that have tendencies to over dribble, um, especially guards and wings. So I think just the more, more often just hit up the floor and get it back. That's another way that Charlotte, I think can create some easy points. So it's not your, you know, under 10 seconds, Phoenix suns uh, kind of pace, but, but Clifford will find creative ways to, to get easy points. Yeah. In the preseason, Charlotte, 73% defensive rebound rate. Just not a bad number, but obviously preseason, lots of noise, lots of guys sitting, not playing, small sample, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Charlotte's defense in the preseason, 111.5 points per 100 possessions. So uh, hopefully that's not an indicator of things to come, but who's who we'll see. The other thing I would say about like the center rotation in Clifford in the rebounding component was Richie, you and I have talked about this a couple of times, but no PJ Washington at five in preseason. And I know PJ sat at least one preseason game, but uh, there was, you know, a center on the court at all times. Mm-hmm. And the five game sample, it's just preseason. Um, they're missing, you know, a big small ball piece from the roster the last couple of years. And one of the guys that sort of like helped unlock PJ at five. So there's a lot of reasons to go into this, but I do think it is worth monitoring how much PJ does play at five this season. It's been a big part of his game and his role the last couple of years. And right now it's hard to see him getting a ton of minutes there simply because like it, it looks like they're going to want to play three centers right now. Right. Like I, I mean, it does seem like they're going to at least, at least at the start of the season, mm-hmm. you're going to see all of Plumlee, Richards, and um, Williams, and Williams, uh, at least in some aspects. So that'll help, you know, defensive rebounding by just being bigger. You know, I think, and and playing drop helps that as well. You just got more guys in the paint or whatever, but um, it could have some adverse effects in terms of like the half court offense, and like that's the trade off. You guys talked about it in the last episode <clears throat> a little bit, I, and I, I agree, Richie. I think that they'll get to it, um, and I think you know, like the NBA is going to force them to get to it, right? Because they're just going to get late game situations, and yeah, teams are going to yeah. go small. Like they're not going to be able to play Plumlee and Richards in some of these situations. But I think we're going to see it a lot, a lot less. Uh, yeah. To Brian's point, I think, and I think that's obvious. Um, 
But, you know, at the same time, I mean, the bigger picture is Mark Williams and his development. And for that matter, Nick Richards, I mean, you know, he's on last year of his contract. We'll see. Uh, I'm looking at that a lot differently than I was uh, before preseason. So having those guys on the court as much as humanly possible and, and really finding out in Richard's situation, specifically what we have um, is the priority. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, let's switch to some individual topics here, individual players. Uh, I want Spencer to get in here first, and then Brian can follow, and then I'll, I'll kind of get my thoughts last. This could be a consensus question, but based you know on the summer since you know May or June onwards to preseason play, which player's outlook, which player's stock has improved, in your view, uh, the most since last season ended uh, until now? So Spencer, jump in here. I think it's Nick, it's Nick Richards. Um, you know, I think Clifford talked about it uh, before preseason started that he'd been very impressed and with him in camp. And we've seen that kind of bear out on, on tape so far. Um, he looks like a really competent rotational center, NBA center to me uh, right now. If, if not the high end of his potential could be uh, – a league average starter. I'm not sure that's probably aggressive, but he has looked dominant defensively at times. And, you know, I certainly think that this drop scheme, as we mentioned earlier, is, is more well suited to his, to his style. But I, I think you just, you just watched the way he battled with Joel and B the other night and he did get 
shoved around. Joel Embiid's going to shove everyone around, but he he was able to body up with him a lot. Um, you know, Embiid obviously was feasting on those little, you know, 12 foot jumpers that the Hornets just kind of conceded to him from the drop coverage. But I, I really think it has to be Nick Richards. I, I couldn't be more impressed. He is not the most fluid athlete in the world. He is not, um, he's, it's not light off his feet, so to speak. He is more of a lumbering kind of player. Uh, but those kind of guys, uh, in this league have real utility. So, I think it's him. And as I mentioned, this is the last year of his, of his rookie deal. Um, so the Hornets really have to figure out what they have here and how he fits into the future of this roster. Uh, but it, but it's great to see, you know, you just drafted a center, Mark Williams, you know, he's a part of the future and the vision. Not sure you knew the same thing with Richards here until recently. And Plumlee's obviously not going to be on this team next season. So to have two developmental bigs, um, in the pipeline that you could see being a part of the, the future of the roster, I think is a really good thing and, and somewhat of a, a, a good surprise for the Hornets so far this year. So I think it's Richards. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great answer. I think that's probably right now for the time being the correct option, but just to say something different, I would, I would offer someone like Jalen McDaniels who, I think started pretty well in preseason and then maybe cooled off a little bit sort of towards the end of the the second week, but is a guy that played, you know, just under a thousand minutes last season. We know what he can do um, defensively. And I think we're expecting to see just more of it this year, but we also saw in the preseason him playing with the basketball more too. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't just him playing out of the corner um and you know cutting in from the corner to the dunker spot which you're you you know you're going to see with that um that's something that's very obvious that like Jalen and his his trainer Clint Parks who's been a one-time guest of Buzzbeat like those guys do work on that and but so you know he's got you know he can do some of the cut and the catch and go game but him playing with the ball a little bit more scoring in the mid-range a little bit and then I just thought the like he had a couple flashes of team defense, you know, weak side rim protection or being in the right place at the right time uh, as like the weak side help for pick and roll and getting deflections, getting steals, getting blocks, just sort of like filling the stat sheet that way. And I do think a lot of people, including us here, probably predicting him to have somewhat of a breakout season, you know, just getting to play more and having a little bit more focus on him and having a bigger opportunity. And also, perhaps being like if they do try to get to some of these small ball lineups that we were just talking about, he ends up being like a linchpin probably in, in unlocking some of that. The one name that I do want to mention, and this will also have a lot to do with the health of his left ankle. And I know this was not like a great preseason for LaMelo ball. And I know the expectations were already pretty high coming off an all-star appearance in his second season. But look, maybe maybe this guy gets healthy. He gets on the court, real games start happening. He just comes out guns blazing, you know? And so he ends up being the person that he's in line for sort of like the biggest growth, like whether it happens this season or not, we'll see. But I do think it's like you can't have this kind of question about the Hornets without mentioning LaMelo because he has the most upside of anybody on the roster. Yeah, correct. And real quick, just we're going to find out a lot about LaMelo just as like 
a pick and roll ball handling engine this year, right? Because we're just going to see so much more of that than we saw under Perigo. Uh, So I'm excited um, and a little nervous because I don't think like the Mellow's game isn't perfectly fit, I think, to be like a lethal pick and roll engine. But if he can continues to shoot the ball, you know, pretty well for his position and we already knew what he can do as a passer, I'm, I'm excited to watch a lot of that. Uh, I'm just, you know, turnovers, turnovers are going to go up. Usage is going to be out of the roof, but it, it's the time to find out if that is the kind of system he needs to exist in, um, you know, to flourish. All right, my answer would have been uh, Nick Richards for this question as well, so I won't spend too much time, and I'm sure it would have been a consensus here, but Brian was just trying to be a little bit a little bit different there to kind of switch things up. But yeah, just after the first couple of preseason games, I actually didn't really buy into the hype that Clifford was preaching over the summer, but the more he played, the more I liked. But let's flip it over to the opposite end here. Which player, you know, since May, since the last game of the season until now, in your views, you know, stock has decreased the most. And I actually debated between a couple, and we might actually have a different answer here. I debated between two young players uh, and Kelly Oubre. Kai Jones, Book Knight, and Kelly Oubre were the three guys that I'm like, okay, they, they haven't shown me enough this offseason to kind of raise the expectations. And I actually don't have that crazy high hopes for Book Knight to begin with uh, because he just doesn't seem like a Clifford-esque player. And his play in preseason, you know, on the whole has been pretty rough, not creating any kind of advantages uh, with his dribble. He's not really being used correctly, all that type of stuff. But to be honest with you, like just from my personal point of view, I don't think his stock has gone down too terribly much because I didn't have him too terribly high to begin with. Um, and as much as Kelly Oubre frustrates me on the defensive end and the up and down nature of his game, I'm actually probably starting to sell some stock on Kai Jones. Like I, he's just, I know he's young and I know he doesn't have a lot of experience uh, in terms of basketball. Like he just started playing five, six years ago. But his shot to me is is broken. Like it just doesn't look like it's going in. Uh, his his form just 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 does not look pretty at all. I think he's currently limited in what he can do and how he can be utilized and who he can be paired with. And maybe going into the season, there wasn't the expectation that he was going to play with the Hornets all that much. And I do love the flashes of defensive impact, but I just wonder how long it'll take him to develop to the point to where. He's going to be in your top eight, top nine rotation. And maybe that never happens because right now I just don't see it that way. And I'm pretty sure Clifford doesn't see it that way either. So to me, like Kai Jones, James Book Knight, Kelly Oubre, those three were the ones that really haven't raised their stock the much. But Kai Jones, to me, I feel like I just, I have less hope, I guess, with the, with you know, versus the other two, I guess. Yeah, Kai Jones is a good one, Richie. I don't think I'd given that as much thought, but I do have a few thoughts on your comments. I think it's James Bucknight here. Um, you guys did a really good job talking about him a few episodes ago, I think. And, you know, Brian couldn't agree more. Just like, what are we doing here? How are we helping this guy? Um, how are we helping him develop? I mean, that was kind of what I was trying to get to earlier. I was just so happy to see Booknight hit up the other night because as you were talking about, you know, we got to put him in advantageous situations. I mean, he he's at the point of his development where we, you know, the, he has to help himself out, number one, while he's on the floor, and the team has to help him out schematically. But he looks a little broken mentally uh, to me, um, and that can change quickly. You know, confidence is 
a very <clears throat> volatile thing. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not giving up on book night, but so Kai Jones and book night have something in common. They were drafted, um, as a part of a different, uh, not a different front office, but a different vision. Uh, and I think that both of them could be lost in translation of, of that transition to a different head coach. Um, with Booknighter, it does remind me a lot of the Malik Monk thing where, you know, we're like, well, he's a great gunner coming off the bench. He can have some ball handling duties, but he's a young guard in the NBA. So you can't just you can't just throw these guys the basketball and say, all right, go run 20 pick and rolls off the bench tonight. Um, and so I think I think Booknight's going through that. So we'll see. I, I, I hope there is a plan for him um, minutes wise and how they make him a more efficient offensive option for this team because they're going to need it if they want to get to 100 points tonight. And then with the Kai Jones thing, Richie, I, I really think the point I was trying to get to a minute ago about the different vision, I think Kai Jones was a much better fit in a James Borrego vision yeah. offensively and, def- and defensively um, that he's – I just don't see where he's going to – I don't see how Clifford's going to give him minutes unless the front office makes him play Kai Jones from everything we've seen. He can't play five, which is a huge problem for him because I don't also don't really think he can play four. (laughs) So like, I, you know, I'm sure there's a spot in the NBA for Kai Jones, but I am starting to worry that that was just a bus pick. He, He doesn't have right now a translatable NBA skill. He's a great athlete. I mean, a phenomenal athlete for 6'11". Like that's, you know, we don't have to discuss that, but he's got very little skill. He's got very little control. He's got very little IQ. And as of right now, I don't really think he has a position. So I, I'm definitely worried about Kai Jones. But my answer was going to be book night to this question. I mean, I stock-wise, we didn't see a lot last year for obvious reasons, but from what we've seen so far this year, I'm I'm, uh, I'm on Robin Hood selling some if I can. <laughs> Yeah, it was unfortunate that Book couldn't play in summer league. I mean, maybe that doesn't matter all that much, but that would have been another half dozen games or so of of pretty valuable, you know, information collection on him as a player or just development perhaps for him as well. But I mean, this is one where I think I think you guys laid out all the obvious answers to it. I suppose there's a chance you know, Gordon Hayward deserves some sort of consideration for this, but um, it does sort of feel like national views on him were already pretty low-ish. It's it's sort of like tough to say. But, but did not help himself with that haircut. I mean, I will no, say that. Like, you can't just throw strays at yourself. You know, don't do yeah. drive-bys on yourself. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you make too much money to have a haircut like that. Like, <laughs> Correct. Me when I was 15 years old, but... Yeah, just like the Kai Jones stuff. It's um because I've talked a lot about book this preseason, um, in this past off season, but there's so many scalability concerns with Kai Jones because he just doesn't have a home defensively right now. Whether he's playing a four, playing the four or the five, what's the coverage for him when he's guarding a ball screen? What's the coverage? What is it? Like it's probably switch. In Greensboro last year, they used him to like kind of like dropping, but but being up a little higher up. Um, you know, he's never going to be a deep drop guy. 
Um, you'd like to think with his length and athleticism, you could use him in a bunch of different ways, but just like, that's cool in theory, but like, what's the base? Like, what's the coverage? What is it? How do you defend a ball screen or dribble handoff exchange with him? What do you do? Right. Until you sort of like ants can answer that question and answer it with some sort of confidence, then it's tough to say it's tough to, to keep him on the court simply because um, he's going to give you, he's going to give up too much defensively. And if that's overlapping with a, an offensive game that, you know, he's not quite like a floor spacer, right? You know, he's not, and he's not quite a pure like screen roll and dive guy. I mean, maybe he could be that, but um, and he did have one nice, like short roll pass in preseason where McGowan's are in a ball screen two on the ball. He threw it to Kai Jones. Kai Jones kicked it weak side corner for three. And so if he could do more of that type of stuff, if he could like unlock some type of short roll game, that would be huge for him. But until then you can't like, there just isn't a role for a guy that's a negative defensively and is just a pure dive guy on offense like that. That just isn't playable in the NBA. However, we've seen, Kai show the ability to be a dribble handoff guy, like fake the handoff, keep it, use that, turn the corner, get downhill and, and finish at the rim with his, with his athleticism. In theory, again, that's, that's all in theory too. And you still need the defense to have that stuff on the court. And really how much is that getting you? I think ultimately you want to bet on your development team with guys like Kai because of the, the size and length in the athleticism, which is special. You want to say like, man, if we could figure it out with this guy, it's at least worth the shot. Even if we think there's only a 60% chance or there's a 40% chance or a 20% chance. We think we turn this guy into a starter or whatever that is, but like we're willing to try it because the, he could be special, but the development, like he was clearly further away than I think even, well, maybe not. I, I think, those who were skeptical of Kai heading into the draft two years ago were pointing out the fact that like this was going to take more time mm-hmm. and um, then, then perhaps teams that had a first round grade on him uh, were, were anticipating. And I think a large chunk of that has to deal with the offensive processing and on a, at a more concerning level, just like with the defensive processing where position he's playing what pick and roll coverage can you use with him? Can he guard people on the perimeter? There's just so many question marks on that side of the floor. So despite the fact that he has good tools, he's just sort of like leaving you for more. And until you figure that out, it's tough to get him on the court, especially you know, if the offense is, is, uh, is lacking. The player that I think of in terms of like an ideal developmental continuum for Kai is like a precious Achua. Like if he could scratch out some of those skills yeah. that Precious has been able to do. And, and obviously being in Toronto's developmental system is different than Charlotte's. But I, I that that's what I'm imagining is him maybe maxing out a potential. Maybe he can become more than that. But th- that's the kind of player that they should be trying to, number one, they need to use him. Like Toronto is using him on both ends of the floor. Uh, and then number two should be really be focusing on sharpening up that dribble handoff, being able to put it on the floor, make good decisions, just get like, he could be such a key rim pressure option, you know, for Charlotte, which they have very, very little of, but to your point, Brian, it's, 
and we knew this coming in. He's he's very very. I think he's still very far away from from getting yeah. getting there. So. All right, let's go quick with this next question. Um, behind Lamelo Ball, which player would you consider the second best player on the roster? You know, considering everything that happened this summer, uh, there seems to be a vacancy there. Uh, I think I debated between two players, but maybe there's a third that you can maybe convince me on. I debated between Hayward and Rozier. Hayward is a three-level scorer. He's a facilitator, but you've got the injury concerns. And then you've got Rozier, who is a movement shooter. He's more aggressive than Hayward, so he's probably going to be featured more as a scorer. Uh, it seems like he doesn't take a back seat as often, uh, even when he's missing. Uh, but you have the issues with defense. So those are the two that I've debated. Uh, Spencer, is there a third one? Is there is there a player that's kind of clear-cut second best on this roster? I know it feels weird debating this, but uh, it's kind of a, an issue when you really don't know who the second best player is. Yeah, this is probably going to sound crazy, but I do think there's a world in which Cody Martin emerges, oh. emerges as that this year. Um, I think that... I just I think there's more in there, and we saw more of it earlier in his career. You know, he he can create, he can play pick and roll. Um, he's a good passer. He's he is really above average, if not very good, um, offensive IQ. Obviously limited limited as a shooter, but we've seen development there. Um, I just think like the total package availability, defense can play with the ball in his hands. Can he become just a little bit better as an off-ball shooter? I don't have those stats right in front of me, but like I think that there is room for him to grow and become better. Um, that said, I, I just wanted to give something different. I think the answer is probably Rozier, just because like of Martin, Hayward, and Rozier, which is the three I, I was really thinking about for this. Like Rozier's got the one thing that just the bombs away, yeah. lights out shooting, you know, that he that he brings. If Gordon Hayward was going to be there for 70 games, I would say he's probably the answer because I think he's the most complete player of these three, but we know he's going to play, you know, 45, 50 games. So he's just just at the point of his career where you just can't count on him to be there. So I I think the answer is probably Rozier. And for obvious reasons, that's uh, that's why I'm going to be recording from my bathroom most of this season because <laughs> Terry Rozier is our second best player. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Um, yeah. I'll say, I'll say like, again, I think you guys hit on the, like it, I do think ultimately it comes down to Rozier or Hayward. You can, I think you could make a case for Rozier because of the high volume three point shooting and the efficiency and how those are generated obviously not like a great off dribble three point shooter, but the movement shooting is a thing and you can feature that in an offense. You can't build an offense around it, but it is something you can feature. I think I would give it, I think I would lean Hayward. uh, If we're just talking about this, like sort of in a vacuum, uh, if we're talking about everyone's healthy because, because of the, the pick and roll playmaking of his. And so it's just sort of like, what do you value more? sort of like a three-point shot that can be featured um, and you can run offense through and, and play off of that gravity? Or is it having the ball handling and the passing and the mid-range scoring of Hayward? I do think, and and you guys will probably uh, roll your eyes, maybe laugh at me. For I know this. what you're going to say, but keep going. Yeah, it's just like, look... I think ultimately because of some of the limitations he has playing with the basketball, you can't, you can't like 
really consider PJ Washington into this category, mm. but by some of the advanced numbers, like if you're going off like dunks and threes, if you're looking at EPM, um, you know, PJ checks out as a, a, you know, one of the more valuable players on Charlotte's roster and 59% true shooting last year bombs away three point shooter. Like another one of those guys that could just is going to get it up from deep and shot the ball very well from above the break last season was one of the better pick and pop shooters. Um, and Brian, quite, I have a question for you because I'm, I'm interested. I, I think this is a good conversation. How much of the advanced analytics do you think are tied to him playing center and considering that, I mean, would you kind of project that some of those advanced numbers are going to probably level out this year because we'll see so much less of him there? I think so. I think yes, to answer your question. I even think some of the pick and pop shooting is him getting to be play small ball five and getting to pop against, you know, when teams put two on the ball or drop coverage and he's able to just like, slip and you know, slip out or screen out and get open catch and shoot looks right like not shooting over a tight close or close out or you're shooting over a, a weak side stunt as opposed to having someone right in your grill and i do think it's going to be like up to pj this year to see if he can what he can do when he gets smaller guys switched on to him um 25 feet from the basket um i think that's a real there's an opportunity for him there and there have been flashes, but there's also been a lot of uncomfort with the ball in those situations, discomfort with the ball in those situations where you're sort of like le- you're looking for more. I think he can pass it. He, like, he's definitely like a ball mover for sure. Um, and he can do some stuff on the short roll like um, uh, SIS sports info solutions where I worked uh, part time. Uh, for a little bit in 2021 had a, a number they put out like a month or so ago about advantages that have, that are maintained by a player. And PJ was one of the best in the league at that. And I think that is sort of, that is something that I don't think has to necessarily be tied to um, him being defended by centers that can definitely like plays a role. Like context is important, but sometimes that that's just making the extra pass, you know, Sometimes that's relocating and being in the right spot. Um, I wonder where Ubre ranked in that that stat. I'm sure one of the worst. Like, (laughs) would have to be one of the absolute worst. But I, I just I think it speaks to like I, I'm like I'm not making the case for PJ as like a you know a franchise cornerstone or anything like that. I just think like him as high-level role player, rotation player mm-hmm. on a winning team is is absolutely in the cards, and it's because it's the positional versatility, it's the three-point shooting, and it's making good decisions with the basketball. And it's that he can give you some mid-range scoring. Not like, like and I'm talking about like runners, I'm talking about like post-ups in the short mid-range area, but he can give you a little bit of that. But Look, he's a guy that can block some shots. He can give you some rim protection. He's shown the ability to switch out and guard a variety of position types from Trey Young to Giannis. Like, he guard, guarded all of those dudes last year. Um, he's even spent time, unfortunately, for him on Joel Embiid. So just, like, during his career. Now, that was sort of, like, out of necessity. But um, there aren't too many other guys on the roster that can do that, that shoot threes at that level, can protect the rim 
make good decisions with the basketball in terms of like secondary passing and can also give you some versatility in terms of how many different player types they can guard. So I'm not saying it's PJ because of the, the, the sort of like the inability to get his own shot or the inability to really like shoot off of like movement, like Rozier, like obviously PJ can shoot off pops and slips, but um, it's not like you're running him off down screens or any, you know, floppy action or any of that yeah. type of stuff. Yeah. So, but so anyways, I would say Hayward, but I think you can make a case for Rozier and I just want to make a, a small uh, half-hearted case for PJ and just sort of like highlight some of the things he does well that are valuable. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's crazy uh, at all. And it, a, a huge developmental year could be in store for him. He's going to get opportunities in different ways, but like, his utility is a small ball five and his passing ability, the pick and pop shooting, you know, ability to put the ball on the floor. Like we've seen it in that scheme, but who's to say like, he can't to Brian's point, continue to create these advantages. And it doesn't benefit him that there's somebody in the dunker spot more often, right? Like he's a good passer and he's a pretty good passer in tight spaces that we've seen. So like, you know, now he's not having to spray it out to the corner or spray it back to the top. You know, like there are some other, options for him as a passer so i you know i think it could benefit him in some ways but i'm i'm curious i knew brian was going to bring up pj uh, in the conversation and he it was actually the third person i actually was thinking of was pj i I did not think about cody in that way but uh, i think you could make the case just overall impact and factoring in health and stuff like that that could be the case i think in a vacuum the answer to this question is hayward uh if you were to kind of Ask me when you consider all those factors, I might say Rozier, but still at that point, I don't feel too confident about that answer. But before we go to some listener over-unders, which were pretty cool, which we're going to get to at the end of this, I want to bring up one more topic about the direction of this current team and how quickly that can change within the season. I think, and I've probably felt the strongest about this versus any season prior and maybe it's because of the draft class but I think this team needs to be actively tanking I think that this team is just not good enough to be uh, obviously in a playoff position but I also think this team is just a little bit too good to be in the conversation with the Thunder the Spurs and the Jazz and the Rockets as is I just think that you know even considering the health of Hayward you know he might only play 50 games but Rozier and PJ and Cody Martin, uh, a healthy Lamelo, like this team just truly can't be that bad. So with that in mind, I think that the team needs to act quick. If let's say they're five and sixteen, you know, after the first couple of months, you're, they're just not going to reach that, you know, top six spot. Which would I, I would feel comfortable like if this team was a top six team. I know that's not like the best place to be, but when they're targeted for that 9, 10, 11, 12 range in the East. You know, that, that's just not relevant enough in the East. Um, but by the same token, like I said, they're just not bad enough to be 14th or 15th. So I'm not asking them to trade all the players, you know, get off Hayward, Rozier, and Plumley and Ubre. but those are the four that I would look at first. The only question that I have, uh, and the biggest mystery to me is, Will the front office actually do that? Like, will they react in that way? Um, are they already starting to think about this stuff? And how much of a challenge it's going to be with this season 
with the roster that it currently stands because they're, they're not making it to the playoffs with the roster as is. So you might as well start looking at other avenues to make this team competitive in the future. So, and that's the thing too, with Clifford, like he was brought on supposedly uh, to win because I mean, Borrego, Borrego, you know, improved the team, but you know, I, I could just see this organization going in so many different directions here, depending on how they start. But out of all the years, I, I feel the strongest that they need to be actively working in the opposite direction. So before we get to the over-unders, Spencer, Brian, uh, what do you think the direction of this team is going to be? And then two, do you actually think the front office would react in a way that you would want them to if they started, you know, five and 15? Well, so, yeah, I, I think I'm in like wait and see mode because I actually do think, I mean, obviously, we know Michael Jordan wants to win. He wants to play in, he, you know, wants the eight seed more than anyone on planet earth, right. To get that extra few million in, in, in revenue, but he has tanked before, you know, I, I, people will forget that, but th- they have broken it completely down and they missed on the, right. They barely missed on Anthony Davis. So, uh, which is maybe part of the reason that he's like, all right, well, it's still a coin flip. Even if you do this now, it's well-documented that it's not as much of a coin flip with the way that, this draft appears to be stacked up. <clears throat> um, so I, I think there is probably a higher probability that they do make the decision to pull the plug and LaMelo's ankle injury mysteriously keeps him out for 40, 50 games this year. Like I, I, I think it's, you know, is Michael Jordan the owner I want for the, this team? No. Is Mitch Kupchak the GM that I want for this team? No, but, but they're, you know, they understand how this works. They're not so – I don't think they're incompetent enough to miss this one. And, and maybe that's me being too optimistic and positive. Um, but, but they've done it before, and I am rather hopeful that they'll pull the plug. I, yeah. I, I've, got a, I've just got a feeling in my gut that they're going to pull it. it. It seems – look, it's obvious that they have to – they have to tank like it's we can talk all we want about guys who can break out and development and all that sorts of stuff. But like we we also spend a good chunk of this podcast being like, well, where are we with a where are we with LaMelo in terms of pick and roll half court creation? And then also we just spent the last 10 minutes kicking the can about who the second best player on this roster is. And the end of it was we just threw our hands up and said, <laughs> we maybe Gordon Hayward, maybe Terry was here. Like if that's the, if that's what the roster you're looking at, then it is obvious what you have to do. And Lee and I talked about this pretty extensively on the women Yama pod that we put out last weekend. Um, or we recorded last week and it went out this past week. I think the hope would be that what, and it shouldn't have come to this, but just like what happened in Vegas, the way Wembenyama played, the way Scoop played before he got hurt, that if that changed, maybe that changed some minds. That was what some of the reporting around the league was. So maybe the Hornets were, how could the Hornets not be one of those teams other than just the sort of like desire they've had to get the eighth seed uh, in years past. The other thing I would say, and I brought this up with Lee is like, yes, the extra gate revenue that you get from hosting two playoff games when Giannis comes in and the Bucks just destroy you or Jason Tatum and the Celtics come in and just blast you into another dimension. Like, yes, that's extra money. That's a lot of extra money, but it, it is a fraction 
of how a player like Scoot or Victor Wembenyama could raise the overall value of the franchise, which is in the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And so the hope would be that you could pitch it to ownership as this is going to suck for a year and there's not going to be a guarantee that we get one of these guys, but there is a billion dollar lottery ticket floating out there. If we really go for it, then, and we think of this as like a really like a three player draft, including Eamon Thompson, then like, We've got an X percent chance of getting one of these guys and mm-hmm. uh, a 14% chance of getting Victor, you know, and and that's the thing you hang your hat on. And you say, even though, you know, a multi-year rebuild would be better, like long term. But the way I think you would sell it to ownership is in a less than a year from now, we're not doing this still if we get one of these guys and here's, here's all the numbers we have in terms of how they raise the value of the franchise. So my hope would be that they gun for it. I also think a saving grace for them might just be like, even at full health, I just don't like, I don't think this is just not a good team. Two quick follow-up thoughts to that. Number one, it should be obviously in Michael Jordan's interest to raise the valuation of this franchise, which is one of the lowest in the league. And it should also be in the league's interest to raise the valuation of this franchise. So maybe there's some, uh, some, some backwoods chicanery that can go on to, to, uh, and and number two is, and and people, I mean, everyone's probably thought of this. Lamelo's ankle is going to be fine. I I think they dodged a bullet here, you know, hoping for him to get back to health as soon as possible. This could be a blessing in disguise for Charlotte though. Like if they stumble out one and seven, one and eight, yeah. Like the decisions made, there is no decision to be made then, right? Like it's the, yeah, his ankle injury made it for you. So yeah. It, it, yeah. it could help his future and projection in Charlotte as a player. And it could certainly help the teams if he misses extended time this year. All right, let's end on some rapid fire over unders. I asked for uh, some listeners just to come up with some random arbitrary over unders specific to players, specific to this team. Uh, don't give too much thought on this, but uh, we're going to end with this. All right, the first one comes from Carter Bond on Twitter. Gordon Hayward games played over under 41 and a half. And um, <laughs> that's actually a lower bar than maybe he has played here. <laughs> Brian's laughing. Um, he actually played 44 and 49 games the past couple seasons. Uh, so that's on the low end, but it's not, I guess, unreasonable to say 41 and a half. I actually think he gets closer to 45, 46, 47. Uh, so I will take the over and there will be some load management kind of mixed in here. So, but I'll, I'll still say the over here. Yeah, I'll say the over as well, but not not by much, like within 10, you know, but uh, I will take the over. I, I'll take the over too, but if you bet on this, you need to check yourself in the gamblers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next over under from Jake G. Uh, PJ Washington over under 16 and a half points per game. I think, you know, PJ may be due for a bump in minutes and maybe as a result, a bump in points per game. But 16 and a half seems like a lot just for the type of player that he is. I can see maybe him finishing closer to 13 or 14 points per game, which to me would still be a modest jump. So I'll, I'll take the under here. I don't think he reaches 16 and a half. Yeah, I, this is a good one, though. I like this. Um, I'm going to think about this one a little bit longer after this pod uh, of how he would get to that. I mean, there's certainly ways, but I'm going to go a slight under here, too. 
um, obviously pulling for the over. I like right. this one. Yeah, I will say under, but there's definitely like a roadmap to it because uh, more playing time, more usage that will just turn into more three point attempts, right? Like that's like that seems like the pathway for for a lot of that. Maybe hopefully more free throws too. It, this guy is for a career twelve points per game in under thirty minutes per game mm-hmm. on forty five percent effective shooting for his career, fifty two percent on twos. 37 and a half on, on threes. So like it, but I just, I don't 16 and a half is a lot. So I'll say under, but, uh, but yeah, the, the guys like career scoring and shooting numbers are, are pretty impressive actually. All right. Next one from long suffering fan. I don't know if he's a long suffering fan of the Hornets, the Panthers. I can't tell by the icon. All here. the above. <laughs> is that a, is that a lions? I can't even like Owen 16. Okay. Anyway, over under here is Kai Jones. Yes, it's a Lions Owen 16 okay. paper bag with a crying face gotcha. on it. <laughs> uh, Kai Jones DNP CD over under uh, 35. Now, this might be semantics here, but if Kai Jones never dresses, like if he's just like not dressed, does that even count as a DNP CD, Spencer? I don't think so. Yeah. So I, I guess he would. Yeah, it would be considered not active. Not for the active. Game. Yeah, so, so yeah, if yeah, you could be arguing semantics here because if that if that's the case, Spencer, then I, I would definitely take the under because I just don't think he's going to be active enough to get the DNP CD. Uh, but if the question is, does he miss out on thirty five games in Charlotte, uh, whether that's due to injury or G League assignment? Yeah, I'll take the over. I think that's probably where my head's at here. Yeah, I, I mean, I. I hope that the under is the answer here. Um, I think we've we've pretty much covered it in this episode. If 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 it is the over, that's just like a gross miscommunication from front office to coaching staff. But yeah, I mean, this is the kind of player that Steve Clifford would be like. Yeah, I don't I don't want to play this guy. I don't need this guy. You know, so I, I really hope it's the under, um, and it should be. But I don't feel good about it. He's he's so far down the center rotation. It's it's great. There's just no road map to him getting like real minutes. Save for Charlotte is in blow it up mode down the stretch. Plumlee is off the roster. Either at he's re, you know he he's a buyout guy or they trade him, and also like someone gets hurt. You know, like short of that. Uh, man, it's tough to find reliable minutes for him. So, yeah, I'm with you guys on this one. All right, next one. Uh, good follow on Twitter. Handles underscore Messiah. Greg asks, this is a good one. I, I thought about this one. McDaniels starts under over 25. I remember on a previous pod, uh, there was a question about a bench player that has the best chance to start, and I had mentioned Jalen Daniels. Just love you know, his plug-and-play nature more than anything. You know, he can be versatile in who he can guard. He can be versatile in what position he can play. You know, he has been typically a stationary low usage guy, but he's gotten better with the ball in his hands and he's going to get you cheap buckets through offensive rebounds. But 25, that feels like a little bit too high, like if I was a betting man. So I will take the under, even if even if they do go full tank mode, maybe he gets closer to like 20 starts. But I, I guess I can see a world where he does get over if they just kind of, you know, flip the switch pretty early. I don't know. 20, yeah. 20 25. That's tough, Spencer. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. Well, you should get pretty good odds on on the over here. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the over <laughs> and well, a few thoughts. Number one, shout out Greg, ex Queen City Hoops contributor. Hope you're well. Thanks for the question. And then two, what if Kel, what if Steve Clifford's just like Kelly Ray? That's true. Go sit down there. 
just yeah. like stay there. I, I, we're good. <laughs> like you're just salary at this point. You're not even like we don't. We're not worried about rehabbing your value. There's no value. So yeah, and then McDaniel's just gobbles up all those minutes and and potentially starts when one of the wings gets hurt. Right. So I, I I'm gonna lean slight over here. Yeah, I I'm with you. I'm gonna go over um, as well. I just think he's gonna usurp Ubre in the pecking order quickly. I hope it has happened already. I don't think it has quite yet, but um, yeah, it's just like if Hayward's not available or PJ's not available, you know, he should be the guy that starts, you know? And so if we think Hayward's going to miss this many games, then um, yeah, I'll go over for McDaniels in terms of starts. All right. One from the co-host. Uh, which Carolina on Twitter, Lee asks over under the amount of times Eric Collins says guts of a cat burglar, 8.5. I, I really have no desire to keep tally of this. So if either of you want to keep tally of that, <laughs> uh, go right ahead. Uh, but I'll go over. I'll go over. I think the better question is which Hornets player do you think he references the most mm, when he, when he's kind of when he kind of <clears throat> talks about this phrase? Cody Martin, of course. That's what I would have um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. But yes, over, hard over, and I will keep track because I've already Thank bet you. on this. So Yeah. Uh, yeah, hard over. I think he's going to reach this before like Christmas, uh, to be clear. I think Rozier is another guy that can get some consideration yes. for yes. who gets the most of it, but Cody Martin is another one. They do it on different sides of the floor. Like Correct. for Cody, it'll be you know him diving for a, a, a loose ball or defensive rebound. For Terry, it'll be taking some ridiculous shot as the shot clock um, drains down or who knows uh, maybe he'll use it at one point this season for Teo Maldon who the Hornets uh, brought in on a on a two-way deal uh, yesterday actually I wanted to squeeze that in there because I think that was kind of a an interesting signing um, that the Hornets are going to I guess they'll have McGowan's and Maldon as their two two two-way guys this season and um I, yeah, I guess we don't have time to talk about it today, but yeah, we don't. I'm but, uh, but monitoring I, that, a yeah, very interesting I, second draft guy. He, he yeah. just turned twenty-one. We know he can run a pick and roll. We know he can score, and I think he could also help guys like uh, uh, McGowan's and and maybe Kai and perhaps Mark Williams some uh, playing in Greensboro this season um, as like a professional NBA point guard. So I kind of like that signing. So maybe we'll get a, uh, one of those actually Eric Collins more likely to use like a French saying yes, a pun of yes, some kind from Aldone. But yeah, anyways, intrigued by that. I think they thought that they were going to use him to recruit Wimby, but they didn't realize it wasn't college. So yeah, um, tough. So last over under, this is from me. So here's the deal. 11 and a half for the Eastern conference. Do you think that they're going to finish 11 or higher <laughs> or 12 or lower in the Eastern Conference. I will wait till the end to make my prediction. But Spencer, do you have a thought on this? Well, I need to correlate my my positive uh, nature about tanking from earlier. So I'm going to go lower or I guess the under here. Same. Yeah, I will as well. I think they're going to see the writing on the wall if they haven't already. Um, or at least that's my hope. So I will say under. Me- meaning like, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15. Is that yes, what you're saying? Okay. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. who, who, who finishes down at that bottom magic? Is, I see, I think Pacers, Pistons are competing. Maybe. Yeah. I think the magic are going to be like, kind of, they're going to be kind of, have you seen any of the magic in the preseason? 
They're going like, to be fun. They're not going to win a lot of games, but they might. I mean, like Ben Carroll becomes an all-star. <laughs> Wendell Carter Jr. might become an all-star too. Yeah, He's looked true. amazing. And, um, and Ben Caro, I mean, he looks incredible too. So, but yeah, I mean, I think the teams that are in contention for that would be like the Pacers, uh, Washington, maybe, Washington, yeah. maybe Orlando. I mean, we'll see what happens, what they look like when Beal gets back. Orlando, the Pacers, who knows with Chicago. I mean, but they, they've got like, they don't have a, you know, Chicago has no reason really to bottom out though, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, they're, they'll probably yeah. do whatever they can to just continue to go for it. But, oh, but um, Richie, like to your, to your question, though, to your point, like you go down the East and you're like, Who's Charlotte actually better than? I mean, Indiana, probably better than Indiana. Other than that, it's like, who are they better than? Uh, the answer maybe is Orlando, Orlando, maybe Detroit. I, I kind of don't think so. Yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I like I like. It's funny to think of them trying to match up with like Orlando's front court right now. Um, <laughs> I think it would be pretty tough for them. But yeah, I say they finish twelfth. Uh, maybe you guys think they finish lower. But it's interesting. I actually looked at 538 this morning uh, to had see. Had a ninth. Had what, a ninth. I was like, am I looking at the right year? Like, is this correct? Like, ninth? <laughs> they, didn't they have Atlanta 2 in the East yes, as they well? Do have those projections were, I saw those projections yesterday and was like, what? Someone this, can someone like explain. What? It was the, now to be clear, that was like the most optimistic projection I saw for both. I've seen for both Atlanta and Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah. So um, I'm not entirely sure what's getting baked into that cake, but those two jumped out to me as like surprises. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe they know something we don't know, but all right, let's get out of here. Uh, We thank everyone that joined live here on Twitter spaces. Uh, The Hornets play the Spurs and the season opener. And uh, I'm sure we'll get a recap for that game as well, but stay tuned for uh, our coverage this season for Spencer, for Brian, I'm Richie. We'll talk to you guys later. Have a good one.